You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined once again by Kyle Newbeck and Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat. Before we begin, as always, subscribe to the podcast. Give us those free downloads that we don't deserve. Leave us a rating or review on, on iTunes if you can. Get us to even more people. We do appreciate it. Uh, also, follow Sixers Beat on Twitter at Sixers Beat. Probably the easiest way to then find where all this stuff is located. Download the CLNS radio app ourselves. Sam Vecini's Game Theory Podcast, B-Ball Breakdown, and Real GM Radio, and also check out all of the other Philadelphia-based podcasts with the exception of Spike Eskin's Little Thing, um, you know, BGN <laughs> Radio, Kelsey Files, those kind of guys. But how are you guys doing? I'm really impressed that you're doing the the promo stuff at the beginning, like every episode now, Derek. It's like we have a real podcast. Hey, I'm trying. I'm it, trying. It took um, you a while on that, on that front for <laughs> Oh, I still, it's probably my least favorite part of the podcast. And the part that I do no preparation for, so if it ever sounds really unnatural, that's that's why. Anyway, heading to the draft. We actually have, have draft workouts at Camden now. It took long enough. I've never, you know, I've only been covering the team full-time for three years, and obviously we all followed the team before then. But I can't remember it starting this late in the process before. But it is nice to get, you know, a couple of names in here, a couple of guys who could be, at the very least, early second round picks, maybe even sneaking into the late first round. Getting that process underway, a bunch of the top guys who are rumored to be coming in here in the near future. So I guess we'll start off not with any of that, which made perfect sense that I would bring it up. But we'll start off with some of the trade rumors. The Kings seem like they're really hell-bent on moving up. And the report was they would be willing to part with, or at least they were considering. I'm not sure if they went as far as saying they would be willing, but they were considering parting with 5 and 10 to move up to get their guy, which is reportedly De'Aaron Fox. And then now there are reports that they are getting a meeting with Markel Fultz, which is really interesting because Fultz is the presumptive number one pick. The Kings' earliest pick is 5, and you never see, like Carl Anthony Towns doesn't go out and work out for the fifth pick in the draft. So you wonder if there's a little bit of smoke to them being able to move up, if there's a little bit of, of truth to... Boston really considering moving down to the draft. And for the longest time, I have been of the belief that if Boston was going to trade the pick, you almost have to get a third team involved because of what they might be looking for. But, you know, I think this kind of throws everything into into flux. Like I think this could really change the dynamics of the draft. So I guess we'll start off with a very simple question to move off from there. Would you take the 5-10 and 10 pick for number three? I would not. And so that's a that's a – Two-part answer, I suppose. The first thing is I have a lot higher confidence in the top four guys. Uh, I guess we can separate those. So number one in Fultz, I have a lot of confidence in. Two through four, so for me right now, are Jackson, Isaac, and Ball. I am fairly confident in different ways on all those guys. And once you pass that tier... I think there's a lot more uncertainty, and I just I would prefer to get one of those four guys, whoever that would be. We can talk about big boards and stuff and specifics later. I have a much bigger preference to to get one of those those guys than I would to 
basically pick from who's left, and I would imagine those guys in some order will be maybe not Jonathan Isaac. So maybe if you think you get him there, you trade back. But I also I just don't see as much value in the tenth pick as a lot of other people because some of the guys who will be in that range, like let's say Laurie Markinen, I don't I don't like him as a prospect. Don't like him for the Sixers really. Uh, maybe OG somebody like that. I, I'm I'm not a uh, not a big fan of the fit for the Sixers, and so it's I don't know what I don't think what you are giving up in with a top three pick is worth the the uncertainty you're creating for yourself by trading back. And I guess it it would all depend on how the draft played out. Like if you got uh, Tilakina at ten. And maybe Isaac at five, I'd probably be happy with that. But I think you're taking some of the certainty of being able to pick from what I would view as the the higher echelon of guys out of your own hands and leaving that up to chance. And I'm not necessarily a big fan of that. So at, right now I wouldn't do it. Maybe if it if after the draft or during the draft it, it shakes out a certain way. And the Kings decide, hey, we want to, we want to move forever. You took okay, but from where we sit today, I would say no. Yeah, it's it's a two part answer for me. So, you know, just listening to, you know, all of the coverage surrounding the Sixers, it seems like a pretty popular sentiment in Philadelphia is trade back. And my answer to that is for what? Like, like what are you getting back? Because. The third pick, this is your best asset right now. And purposely weakening that just so you can get some stuff for, you know, just like I need to know what you're getting back that that makes the Sixers a demonstrably better team and makes it worth weakening that asset. So, like, in general, like in a vacuum, I don't like the trade back talk. Take the guy who you think is the best player at three and just be done with it. That said, like – when you look at my when I look at my personal big board and, and how the draft could actually shake out, there is a scenario where I do think it would be worth trading back. And Kyle, you just said it. So, Bolton Ball go one and two. Um, the Kings are willing to trade up to uh, to three, and so again, you have to be completely sure of your board. I, I would need a guarantee. Like, I, I would need to know that the Kings were going to take De'Aaron Fox and the Suns were going to take Josh Jackson. Because being able to get the fifth and tenth pick and getting the guy who I have third right now, Jonathan Isaac, and pick up the tenth pick, which, again, I, I kind of agree with you, Kyle, on that, you know, that, that it starts to get a little dicey down there. But, I man, I've seen Dennis Smith drop the ten in some mock drafts. I've seen right. – Tilakina do it. So uh, it's going to take a uh, an understanding of how the board is going to shake out because, like, yeah, if Laurie Markkinen's the guy down there, I, I don't really want him on the Sixers. I don't really want him on any team, but especially the Sixers. So, yeah, you really do need to understand the board. And if that is how the Sixers, you know, if, if that's how they see it shaking out, I wouldn't really mind doing that because – Five and ten is an overpay for three in, in general. And, you know, maybe, you know, getting a guy like Anuobi or Mitchell or somebody, I, I, I do think, you know, that's not a bad fallback scenario with Tilakina or 
or Dennis Smith isn't there. So yeah, that one specific scenario. Anything else? And I was like, if I'm the Sixers and I'm not sure that's what's going to happen, no, I'm not doing. Well, I mean, we're we are talking about this specific scenario though, and I'm I'm a little surprised that Kyle took that side of the argument because I I know you're big on Isaac, and if you make that trade, I mean, it's for Sacramento to take De'Aaron Fox at three. So you know for a fact that you're guaranteed one of Josh Jackson or Jonathan Isaac. And the fact that I have Isaac third, which is the same as Rich, and I think even Kyle, isn't isn't he third on yours or is he fourth? Correct, yes, he's third. So if we can get our third, if we have a, a really high probability we can get our third ranked guy. And oh, by the way, if that doesn't work out and you get Josh Jackson, I don't think that's a that's a, a bad scenario per se. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I should add that too. And now you're you're adding the chance of someone like Monk or Dennis Smith or Nilakina dropping, which I think are maybe not guaranteed, but I think there's a chance. I mean, people drop every year, and at that point, you know, if you're talking about, you know, what, Fultz, Ball, Fox, Jackson, Isaac, what, Tatum, that's six, Smith Jr., Monk, eight, Nilakina nine. You're only talking about one guy moving up that you wouldn't expect there. And even if that doesn't work out, you've still got Donovan Mitchell and – and you know me and, and guys who I like, and I agree, I have, I think I had Markin in like 13th or 14th in my big board. Um, but if you can get a talent like that and still get the guy that you're targeting, I mean, I think this is like, like you, I mean, I share the same concerns about moving down. When you're at the top of the draft, you tend to have pretty strong opinions and you want to have the, you, you want to leave that to chance as little as possible. But because you know who Sacramento is targeting and because there is, you know, that closeness in terms of Jackson and Isaac that, you can find some intrigue in both of those. I have a lot of interest moving down here. I think the one thing where it gets interesting, let's say Ball doesn't go number two. Then do you make the trade because you could have Ball? I think that would be an interesting discussion too. So I think I, that's where I say I probably don't do it. I definitely don't because I'm I'm in love with Lonzo and LeVar, So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, so – and. Just to play devil's advocate and not to give the Kings too much credit here. Like, that's not a thing that has generally won anybody any money or accolades. But I guess I would not really like the trade out of there. Just think – I know all the, the rumors and speculation say they want Fox. But if the Kings trade up to three and take the best wing available, whether that's oh. – but, I mean, this, this is the kind of deal that you make on draft night. You draft Fox, and then you trade him. I guess, but even with that, that with is... With that agreement that's a, in place. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just That happens all the time. I mean... Sure. That would... Let's put it this way. If they said, yes, make draft Fox, we'll make the trade and back that out of it, that would be a huge deal. Like, they're, For like sure. they would not be able to make a transaction again. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, and this is why I'm probably never going to be in an NBA front office because I just I would rather just I'd stand pat there, but that's I I take your point, Derek. Like that is a it's very true what you said about like if I do rank Isaac that high and I assume he would be there at five, then it would make a lot of sense to get the extra value, but. I don't. It's something about. It's probably just a mental block of mine. Back to your point about giving the Kings too much credit, though. I had one of my recent mailbag questions was, you know, do you really want five and ten in this draft? Should you be angling for a, you know, getting five and then a pick swap next year? And my first reaction was that's batshit crazy. There's no way they're giving you a chance to get Luka Doncic next year. And then my second response was, but it's the Kings, so you have to make that call. Yeah, that's very. You just never know. 
What I what I would say is batshit crazy. They might go, yeah, that makes sense. We'll we'll win you know forty games next year. They're <laughs> Buddy healed, third team yeah. All NBA. They uh, it's funny though. It's that's sort of like the same conversation we had when they initially made that pick swap trade. Remember with the moratorium, we were all saying to each other, are, are they going to back out of this? <laughs> are, are they, can they do that? <laughs> and then you know everybody sort of uh, you, you know sort of the. Uh, the people around the league said if, if they backed out of it, like nobody would do a deal with them ever again. Like they would basically get blacklisted. So, All right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, five and 10 is the only thing that I can realistically believe. Like that is like a realistic offer. It sounds like that would interest me because like any of these other, like, like you can't throw in a player and sweeten that deal for me. Like, that is the one specific move, and it's huge because you're only moving down two spots too. Because like, right. God, like two spots for a guy, like one of those spots is a guy you presumably don't have a whole lot of interest in. We'll get to that later, but at least that we on this podcast don't have a whole lot of interest in. Yeah, it's perfect because it, they're only two spots back, and they're taking a guy you weren't going to take anyway. So that would be it. It is funny we on the group podcast at the lottery party, we brought that up about that being a possibility. And, and you kind of talked me out of it. Like there's no way that's an overpay. And I, I agree with you by and large. I think that's an overpay, but uh, it's the Kings, man. It's the Kings. Do they we just have very little precedent for any sort of trade like that too? Like this isn't the NFL where there's, there's major trades in the draft almost every year. The NBA teams, once it, once they lock in the lottery spots, most of the lottery teams are, are fairly static, with with some exceptions, obviously. But it it definitely be a uh, a change of pace compared to a normal year. Here, here's what I'm wondering: If you're Sacramento, why do you think the Aaron Fox isn't going to be there at five? Well, I mean, yeah, Phoenix unless you think Phoenix will take him, I guess. Oh but yeah, and they, and they might. I mean, I, I, it, I, I mean, it doesn't make better. sense for them too. Yeah, I think he's a slightly better fit there than he is in Philly, but it's it's not perfect by any means. No, no, it's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know why. I mean, that, that's one of the things that we talked about. You know, I, I we talked about a couple of weeks ago with, do you want the Lakers pick to convey? And a part of me wanted it to not convey and for them to end up at like three and just hold them for a king's ransom because some of these guys, these young GMs, kind of fall in love with a prospect or two and and maybe. We'll give up the farm. That looks like what Vlade might be considering doing. But, you know, I guess whether or not the trade, I, like we make it sound like the trade's a slam dunk, or at least as long as you can still get Isaac, the trade's a slam dunk. A lot of it really does rest on whether or not you think, you know, De'Aaron Fox or Josh Jackson have star potential. And I think we've all kind of had a, voiced at least some concerns in whether or not that's the case. Because if you do legitimately think they can develop into an all-star or better level player, then a 10th pick in the draft isn't worth moving down there. So, it, you know, we call it an overpay, but if if you believe in those guys very highly and you end up being right, then we could end up being on the, on the wrong end of this discussion as well. That's definitely a possibility. Sure. Yeah, and, and Derek, just to clarify your, your earlier point, the more I think about it, if uh, if you if you're sure that they're going to take Fox 3, like I have Isaac and Jackson – neck and neck with each other. So I, I wouldn't be uncomfortable with taking Jackson at five if Phoenix decide to go Isaac anyway, too. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess kind of shifting off of that to the discussion about Fultz potentially meeting with the Kings, that to me took, that took me completely off guard. Because you, for, first of all, 
in order in order to get that meeting, and who knows if it's a workout or a meeting or exactly what that entails. But number one picks, I mean, I, I don't know if I said this before the podcast or while we were recording, but Carl Anthony Towns doesn't go and work out for the uh, doesn't go out and work out for the fifth pick. That just doesn't happen. So there has to be some kind of you know legitimacy to some kind of discussions, which is surprising both that the Kings might be able to get up that high and that Boston would be able to or be willing to even listen to offers that are that low. You know, I've kind of always said, look, if Boston is going to trade the pick, it's going to be to a team for a veteran, somebody who can help them compete now. Maybe they saw how far they are, not only from the Cavs, and they were clearly, you know, two weeks ago we were having a discussion, well, you know, does Paul George even get them to the level where they can compete with the Cavs? But now seeing that the Cavs can't compete with the Warriors, maybe they're looking at it and they say, maybe we should get more picks. Maybe we should try to build with youth and try to take as many stabs at an elite player as we can. Maybe they're kind of off of that veteran bandwagon. I guess what are your thoughts on the fact that there might be a little bit of legitimacy to Boston trading this pick and maybe not necessarily for an elite player? So I took sort of the opposite from that. And like so when I, what I wrote about it was it makes it seem like the Boston's aim here is to – get as many assets as they can and make this sort of a three-team deal so that they don't have to give up as many pieces on their end as they would if they were to deal exclusively with a team like the Bulls. And that's why a team like Sacramento would make a lot of sense because they have, like we've talked about, two top ten picks that they can add to a trade this year. So if, if you move let's say number one to Sacramento, you send those two picks, five and 10 to Chicago, plus let's say Jalen Brown or like pick one of the Boston guards that's up for a contract soon, like Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, or I guess not Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley maybe. They go to Chicago and then Jimmy Butler comes back to Boston. And I think that that, if I'm Chicago, I wouldn't do a deal with Boston if I'm not getting the number one pick. But I think you can at least see the logic behind it because they're able to get a couple different contributors and young guys to replace Jimmy Butler. And so that made me think, because that was my mindset when I heard that Sacramento was in the mix, well, why wouldn't the Sixers also be in the mix here? Because they're a team that's also similarly positioned, maybe not this draft specifically, but over the next couple of years where they have the Lakers pick, they have the Kings pick, they have the third pick this year, that they have some serious premium assets to to give to a team in a big trade. So if, if Philly has any interest in number one, and as we've discussed on this podcast before, I think they absolutely should, they would seem to be a fit if that is what's happening here. Now, that's all speculation on my part. I don't know if that's really the case, but I think that's another potential angle to this trade. No, I mean, that is when, when people have asked me whether or not the Sixers could trade, you know, the three and a future pick to move up the number one, my, my stock answer that was, well, I think you're going to have to get a, a third team involved in that. And that's a, that's a great point. That's probably the correct read on this situation. I think maybe the Golden State beatdown has just got me thinking another way, but I I think you're probably right. and that's fair too. Like it's it's hard not to think of how badly Golden State is beating on who the team who is quite easily the the best team in the East and 
I mean, you can debate amongst the other West teams too, but probably the second best team in basketball. I don't think that's unfair to say. So for Golden State to be beating them that badly and for Boston having just gotten crushed by Cleveland, I think you definitely do have to reevaluate. But that was my, that was just my initial thought when I, I saw that pop up. It would just surprise me if they don't take Fultz though. Like, I mean, I mean, that, that's the best blend of, Staying competitive in the in the present, and then also keeping your future open to whenever this Golden State juggernaut just becomes too expensive for Joe Lacob to even afford. So, I mean, him working out with the Kings or uh, even just meeting with the Kings is shocking for for a bunch of reasons. One, because <laughs> for so many years the Kings were the one team that guys wouldn't even go to, like guys who were projected a couple picks below them. They, they wouldn't even work out for the Kings. And yeah, I mean, I, I get, it's like, I understand what you guys are saying with, you know, to, to get five and 10 would potentially be able to, you know, allow the Celtics to not give up all of their great assets. But when, all, when this is said and done, I think they're just going to take Fultz. Yeah, I think uh, I think so too. It was just it was just surprising me that Fultz's camp would even agree to that. That that's really it's not yeah. like the Sixers Brian Colangelo came out and he said that, you know, they had, had some discussions, some what if discussions to potentially have Fultz come in and, and, and meet with them. But for a team at fifth right now, it's hard to make that what if play that, you know, try to convince them, Hey, can you come work without just what if? Like Mark Hill Fultz knows knows there's no chance he's falling to five. So you wonder what's behind that. What? How can how can Sacramento actually make the pitch to make them seem like it is worth their while? It just it, it threw me for a loop. Right. It threw me for a loop. And he just visited with Boston too. It's not yeah, like this. Is, it's not like he's been in the dark and waiting for things to happen. This is a guy who was just with the brain trust there. So that that also sent up some alarm bells for me. So. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I agree with Rich that I think ultimately they end up taking Fultz. I think that's probably the the smart move here, given what we've seen. And that's where I come back to what you said, Derek, because, like, at the end of the day, you have to look at the big picture here with Golden State and Cleveland and, and just think, like, we are not that close to contending. And that doesn't mean you have to blow it up. But I do think that taking the, the slow slower path is definitely – the move here. Yeah, no, I certainly in agreement there. All right, we like we said, we had workout start this week. Derek White and a bunch of random dudes came in on Monday. Not random dudes, like you had Isaiah Briscoe and Melo Trimble, at least names, even if I don't expect them to get to get drafted. And then you had what you had Tyler Dorsey, Thomas Bryant, and Jordan Bell, which is my favorite of the group, and I couldn't blank on his name. Uh, you had those guys in here on Wednesday. Any strong opinions on any of those guys as, you know, really we're talking about potential potential second-round picks, early second-round picks. Well, Jordan Bell's my favorite player out of that group, too. I, I read, actually, just, just in doing some research before uh, watching him work out with the Sixers yesterday, he does sort of fit the uh, the Golden State Cleveland, I mean, especially the Golden State mold where his defensive versatility is really impressive. And, like, you know, you can't say Draymond Green without, like, comparing him. But, like, that's the type of player you're going to get. Like, he he does those things well. I'm not saying he's going to do them anywhere nearly as well as Draymond Green does. But, like, can really move his feet on the perimeter, 
excellent weak side shot blocker. He was the Pac-12 player of the year. And offensively, I mean, he's he's sort of like a hustle player. I mean, he's a really good athlete around the rim, needs to work on his jumper a little bit. But, you know, it's he, he's the type of guy who you could see sticking on the floor for a few minutes in this, these finals and not being out of place. So do the Sixers really need another power forward? I'm not sure, but in the second round, it's like if you think he could be that type of impact player, if there's even a little bit of a chance, it's probably worth a gamble, right? Yeah, and I, I agree. I agree with both you guys that I think Jordan Bell, just as a in terms of a pure player or prospect, is my favorite out of the group. I will say I probably like Derek White's fit better than this past season. He shot, I believe, over forty or right around forty percent from three. He's a little bit of an older prospect, which isn't great, but I mean, if oh, so is Jordan Bell. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, I guess it depends on your philosophy here. Like, I think Jordan Bell in a vacuum might have a higher ceiling just because of what Rich mentioned as far as defensive tools and all that stuff. But if you want guys in the second round who could potentially fit with the players who are going to be on the court, like your core guys who can play some minutes alongside them, I think Derek White might fit better because of the, the aforementioned concerns with power forwards and big men in general. That said, I do think like in the second round, if you can just get guys who are any contributors on any level, you you jump at the chance. So I guess I would probably lean Jordan Bell out of all these guys, but I, I don't feel particularly strong about any of them. Because once, yeah, once I mean, you get past a certain level in this draft, I'm not, uh, not really gung-ho about it. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons, realistically, you're probably, if if we're tr- talking about deciding between Derek White and Jordan Bell, realistically, there's probably not going to be both of them available at 36 anyway. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is because that middle, middle to late portion of the first round, early second round is so center heavy that one of those teams in that range is probably going to be like, look, we need a guard. Like, I know maybe the two or three best players on the board are power forwards or centers, but we need a guard. And I could certainly see Derek White ending up in the late first round because of that, just for positional scarcity and team needs. So I agree kind of with Kyle that I think Derek White's fit is is better. Uh, I mean, look, he can legitimately play the one and the two. He's you know pretty big, got a good wings, wingspan, can shoot from the perimeter, can initiate some offense. He, he would fit in well, and I think he's probably a little underrated. Uh, but I think I also agree that Jordan Bell might be the better you know, in a vacuum, the better prospect, or at least a more interesting pro- prospect, because of the versatility that Rich described, which I think is 100% accurate, and I think could be very useful. And a lot of that, I mean, look, he is a mid-range jumper away from being a real steal, and I think he showed a little bit of progress in that regard as both a foul shooter and occasionally, even though he wasn't a high volume, but an occasional mid-range jump shot during his junior season that I think there's a little bit of reason to be optimism and man, if, if or optimistic and man, if he gets that, I mean, he's that defense I think is very real. And I think has a very real, very real chance of translating. And I think it's going to be very valuable for a team. I would, I would certainly like him if he's there, there at 36. It wouldn't surprise me if both of them ended up going off the board before then. though. Yeah. And maybe the Sixers are able to consolidate some of those picks. I know Keith Pompey and the inquire this week, had a report that other teams are uh, are speculating the Sixers are going to trade at least one of their second round picks, and that's largely common sense. Like if you just look at the roster, there's not enough spots 
for four guys, and there's might not be enough spots for two second round picks. So trade, sell, give away. One of, one of them, them. Lose draft and stash, something like that. They, uh, yeah, and it, you know, they, uh, it, it seems like a team where, where they, if they could find somebody who would be willing to move back and, and grab a couple picks, that they'd be a good candidate to move up for somebody like Bell. The, uh, what was I going to say about Bell? Oh, as far as the, uh, as far as the workouts went, like he was, he, I mean, White, White is an interesting player too. Not only are they starting their workouts late, they've had like two interesting guys in there so far. Like it's yeah. it's pretty crazy. We're less than two weeks from the draft, and I mean I I don't know. I I think there's uh, Thomas Bryant and Dorsey are, are somewhat interesting players, but there's two guys who I think are like top thirty five players, and that's all they've had in their gym so far. Yeah, I mean like it, it has started very late, and I'm not entirely sure why. But uh, it's – I mean, they, they've got a lot of work to do in the next two weeks. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I guess – I don't know. Maybe they just don't – their board is not as fluid as people might think it would be at this point. And I know you obviously want to get as many guys in as possible, even if not for workouts, for interviews. But I know I'm pretty they, – they spoke to Fultz at the Combine. I believe they spoke to some other guys there. So, like, that part of it, I'm sure they feel – better about than they might have before. So Well, that's a, a very anti-Sam Hinkie philosophy there. Oh, no, again, I, you get as much information as you can. I'm just saying maybe th- that could be their their philosophy behind it. I don't know. I, I, either way, I am, I'm with you guys. I think it's surprising that they've had so few name guys or just viable guys into the gym so far. Do you like uh, McCall, but I don't think uh, I don't think you have to worry about getting a draft pick for him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been it's been surprising. Uh, all right, the one guy who seems to be rising up draft boards almost across the nation, and the guy who that trade that we talked about earlier is based around, De'Aaron Fox. Are we all a little bit surprised that he is pretty much at this point a unanimous top five pick? Yes, and. We do you want me to elaborate, or does someone else want to take the floor? Let's, let's go ahead, Rich first, yeah. and then you can elaborate. Well, yeah, I, I have less. I mean, to, to say about it, I, the answer for me is yes. And I gotta say, like, I, I've seen Fox mock to the Sixers a bunch of times. Like, if there's one thing Colangelo has said is that he's going to value shooting. Like, there, I, I can't imagine them taking the Aaron Fox in the first round. I mean. You know, you guys can laugh at me in a few weeks if that happens, but uh, it's just, you know, he obviously got the NCAA tournament bump, and he was excellent in a couple of those games. But, like, some of the narrative on, like, he lit up Lonzo Ball for 38, that wasn't 38 on Lonzo Ball. He scored, like, 10 points against Lonzo Ball, and then 28 against a bad defense. That that was bad. The other thing, too, with Fox, and I'm sure this is part of it, like, as far as NBA circles and – him being talked up, uh, apparently he's like he knocks every interview completely out of the park, and he, so that that's a contributing factor as well. But like, yeah, I, I think to to your question, Derek, like we were talking about how this guy couldn't shoot in February and January. That hasn't changed. Like that that fundamental point hasn't changed, and I I certainly wouldn't take him in the top five if I was the Sixers and. I mean, like, 
I, I can see where the upside is. Like, I, he's an amazing athlete, really quick. His his defense is a little overblown, I got to say, too. I, I don't see a ton of versatility there. He's going to have to put on a decent amount of weight to be even a two-position defender, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I do think that the Aaron Fox hype train has gone a little far. But in terms of the Sixers, like we were talking about, that's a good thing because I don't think they're interested. Yeah, so it's, it's, Rich, you touched on some of the points, so I'll try to talk. I think a lot of it was just, and this is natural human reaction. You're seeing it with how the how people process the NBA Finals right now. The thing that they remember from the end is overriding the the body of work currently. If if Lonzo Ball had come out and and beat Fox in that tournament game, even if Fox had torched him earlier in the year, I don't think people are talking about De'Aaron Fox the way they are today because the body of work says that Fox is a good prospect, someone that, like you, Rich, I can I can see what people like. He's a, a great athlete, but I don't know that he necessarily does anything that well in terms of running an offense. He's a, he's a great transition player, but – He's not a great scorer for a guard. He's not a great playmaker for a guard. And if you're not good at either, and you're not a shooter, and you're not somebody who really excels at playing off the ball, which he certainly didn't even do much at Kentucky, I don't know what your role is in the NBA. It's not like he's a, again, and we've talked about comparing and contrasting their shots and their, their chances at the NBA level before. It's not like he's Josh Jackson, and even if he's not a contributor on offense, he can be a real defensive menace. You you just cannot make the same impact as a defensive stopper as a guard as you can as a wing because, number one, you're just not big enough to do so. There are just fewer guys on the court you can guard. And, Rich, you're absolutely right that he doesn't even have the weight where he can really switch back and forth between – ones and twos, so you really he's going to be a predominantly one-position defender. And because at the next level it's so heavily pick and rolls and getting switches on teams, a lot of times he's going to be off the, the driver to begin with. So I just I don't really get how he has become this – I don't want to say he's a lock for a top-five pick, but more and more every day it seems like that's where the – the draft Knicks are, are pegging him and that's what they think. I don't see it. I just, I don't really get it. And I, I especially don't get it with the people who are saying, Oh, he's really going to be in play for the Sixers. I can't imagine a worse fit for them out of the top guys than Fox. Cause I know people, and we've talked about this before. I know people want to believe he can shoot. Show me that he can shoot first. He, he shot in the low to mid twenties from three. He shot in the mid-30s on two-point jumpers. He shot like 200 and I think I quoted this last time, 232 jump shots at Kentucky and made like 36% of them. That's bad. That's not, that's very bad, especially for a point guard that can't play without the ball in his hands and is going to need to be able to do so at the next level. So I don't get it. So while you guys have been talking, I watched every point De'Aaron Fox scored in that UCLA game. And there's still five minutes left, but he has 12 points scored on Lonzo. Wait, here's another possession by Lonzo. So yeah, with three minutes left, he has 12 points. 
that he scored while Lonzo Ball was a defender. He that narrative definitely, like Rich said, was a little bit undeserved. And look, Lonzo didn't play play good defense in that game. I've no, I still have no idea. You know, two plus months later, why he went under every ball screen. Uh, I don't think he has any idea why he did that against the Aaron Fox. But he definitely did pick on other guard UCLA guards as well. And I agree with Kyle. You know, if they they played a game against Wichita State in the second round of the NCAA tournament, that was pretty close. If they lose that game, I don't know if we're having this conversation right now. I do think a lot of it is based off of that that UCLA performance, is based off of the net loss, that close loss they had against North Carolina. And that just doesn't... I mean, we talk about this all the time with recency bias and overriding the NCAA tournament. And I hate saying this because I like Fox as a prospect. I think it is reasonable for a team to make, take a gamble on his shooting. I think it is... You can make a valid argument for him being a top five pick, but the universal nature of that and how people are now talking about him being an elite offensive prospect, an elite scorer, I don't think that really – And I mean, look, he, he ended the season even outside of that UCLA game. I think he averaged close to 20 points a game on incredible efficiency down a stretch. But I think if you look at his body of work, I don't look at him as a future – You know, people always say, well, you know, would John Wall fit with Ben Simmons? Well, yeah, of course. When you start getting that level of a player, you make it work almost regardless. My disagreement is I just don't, I don't see De'Aaron Fox as that kind of a that kind of a talent as that kind of upside. And I think once you get past the you know speed factor of it, I don't see much similar in his game with John Wall to suggest that kind of upside. So it it does surprise me how that narrative just builds and builds and builds. I do agree that part of it might be based on how well he interviews and how impressive of a young man he is, and look, that should be, that should factor into your evaluation. But I'm not sure, I just, I, I don't see quite the same upside that a lot of people do. Yeah, and he's a, he's a good passer. I mean, he makes the basic reads out of the pick and roll. I, I don't think he's, he's poor in that aspect, but I don't see many John Wall passes that I see in the pros either. Now, part of that might be that for some reason, John Calipari has trouble putting five shooters on the floor. And, Despite despite having all that talent, but yeah, I mean, he, I, I think, yeah. And another aspect of it too is that like he's a really competitive guy, and you could see it especially too. I, I enjoyed watching him after uh, after they lost in heartbreaking fashion to North Carolina. Like he was devastated, and and I know some people put more emphasis on those type of intangibles than maybe I would. And, it, and I mean, part of the reason I don't put that much emphasis on those things or that I don't get to meet the guy. Like, I, we'll, we'll get to interview him, but I, I, I'm not going to be able to really dig in and see what type of person he is. So so that said, like, there there are reasons to like him, and I do think that there's a path for him to be, you know, like the, the 15th, the 20th best point guard in the league, which is fine. But <laughs> that, That's not the narrative that's formed around De'Aaron Fox. Oh, I know. I know, and I mean, I think that like his upside might be a little higher than that. It's just going to be really hard to reach because, I mean, he shot seventeen of sixty nine from three this year, and uh, you know, I, the idea that his form is fine too, I, I, I'm not necessarily buying that one either. So, so let me ask you a follow up question because you mentioned his passing, and this is like this is semi serious, but just to illustrate a point. Is De'Aaron Fox that much better of a passer than Josh Jackson is? Or do you even think that he is a better passer playmaker as a guard than Josh Jackson is 
as a forward? Well, in terms of vision, I think you could probably make a case for Jackson. But in terms of forcing a rotation and creating passing opportunities, I think he will be better at that. Sure. So here's yeah, but, but the question the question comes, you know, for his position, is he a better passer than Jackson is for his position? And that I'm not sure I can say. Here's a question. How many assists did Fox have to Monk this year where Monk just made a ridiculous shot? A lot. <laughs> did anybody study? I mean, if you guys want to talk for talk for fifteen minutes, I can watch every assist and let you know. <laughs> I I'll pass on that. But it's I, I will say, like, I mean, Malik Monk had a couple of those games where it, it could have been me passing him the ball, and he was just making ridiculous shots. So, Yeah, well, especially early. I mean, Fox came out of the gate, 12 assists his first night, 11, 10, and 10, and those were all by the 10th game of the season. I don't think he had more than seven assists in a game after that, and that probably directly aligns with like what Rich is saying with that Malik Monk hot start to the season. Yeah, and Monk, as you said, Monk's, Monk slowed down at the end of the year. So, you know, Fox... I think, you know, I, I need to go back and look at it specifically, but I don't think it would be uh, wrong to assume that he was somewhat dependent on Malik Monk's shooting ability to, to rack up assists. For sure. All right. Who do they have coming in? They have Fox coming in. Any other big names coming in for workouts that we know of? I don't even think the Fox one has been scheduled or announced, but I think it's been reported. Yeah, it's been reported. I, there, I think I saw some rumors of Dennis Smith, who we've talked about some. Um I don't think that's a surprise either. I'm sure they want to get all these. They're going to want to get all these guys in if they can. It's just at this point, I don't know if they even have the time to. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they're pretty much done going the agent-led workouts and the the group workouts, so they should be pretty much focused on having having guys here in Camden. But yeah, it's uh, I would I would expect that pretty much everyone who is who is willing or whose agent is willing will probably come in. They did get to see Monk at one of those workouts, I believe, too. I think I think they met with Fox at the combine, didn't they? I believe, yeah, him like and Fox Fultz were both there that first night, and I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that they met with him then. All right, any other thoughts before we wrap this up? We'll keep a, a short one. We'll probably have a lot of quick, shorter podcasts. <laughs> short for us is still like 45 quick. minutes. <laughs> Look, it's not an hour and a half, so what do you yeah. want? Uh... No, I guess that's it. I think there's a shortage of a uh, big baller brand gear, according to the website. So oh, God. if you guys want to get some, some big baller merch, better get it now. And t- So when Lonzo falls to three and the Sixers draft him, you're all, uh, you're all set. You know, I've, I've always wanted a $200 pair of flip-flops. <laughs> it's always been on my to-do list. He worked Did out with the Lakers without those shoes on, by the way. Too. He had different shoes on. It's <laughs> a big deal. Yeah. Bad for the brand, though. And bad for the brand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thank you guys for hopping on, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Thank you.